The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febctoday.org. He suffered the loss of the people he loves most. He's lost his teeth. He's lost his health. And yet the love of life, the rejoicing of his heart over the miracle of life in the world is simply spectacular. Historian David McCullough is back this week talking about the life and faith of John Adams, the second president of the United States. Hello and welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepard. Last week, we heard part one of a conversation with Mr. McCullough that took place on Moody Radio in 2001. If you missed us last time, part one is available online at firstpersoninterview.com or by using a podcast app like First Person Interview, available free in your app store. And now we're about to hear the second half of that interview as we delve deeper into what made John Adams such a unique man of faith. As always, thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for making these programs possible. Please take a moment to learn more about FEBC by visiting our website, firstpersoninterview.com. There you'll be able to sign up for an online devotional with stories of God reaching listeners with His Word through the broadcasts of FEBC. Again, go to firstpersoninterview.com. Well, let's pick up where we left off last week in talking with Pulitzer Prize-winning author and historian David McCullough. I asked what prompted him to write the biography of John Adams. I started out to do a dual biography, a kind of uh, parable about... uh, uh, the intertwining lives of two very different men, Jefferson and John Adams, who, as you know, started out friends, became enemies, and wound up friends again, and then, uh, incredibly, uh, died on the same day. And the day was July 4, uh, the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. That's one of those facts of history that's it's just too coincidental. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I thought that probably I would have, there might be a problem uh, with uh, Adams up against Jefferson, that, that Jefferson with his aura, his fame, his, his flair. importance and yeah. flair mm-hmm. would uh, so outshine uh, short, uh, stout John Adams that, uh, that I couldn't maintain any kind of balance. Mm-hmm. But a friend of mine, Richard Ketchum, who's a very good 18th century scholar and writer, said, don't worry. <laughs> That's the least of your worries. <laughs> and uh, how right he was, because I was not very far into the project and I realized... Suddenly, something just said to me, and I just do this book about Adams. And um, well, I've what? never, never, ever regretted the decision. And it's been, uh, I think, as uh, fulfilling and as fascinating a project as any in my writing career. Well, we are certainly the richer for that. Uh, why do you think that Adams then has been overshadowed by so many others, including Jefferson? But he's he's almost forgotten. I mean, most of us if press could say that he was the second president of the U.S. Yes, that's probably what I would have said. I would have said, well, he's a, he's a, the second president. He was a fat fellow with a rather short, round face and a, a Boston blue blood, a rich a Boston blue blood. Of course, he was none of that. He wasn't rich. He wasn't a Bostonian, and he wasn't a blue blood. Mm-hmm. He's, short, a, he's a farmer who loved short, the land. He was a farmer. They often say that... Uh, uh, Andrew Jackson was the first president of the people. That's quite wrong. John Adams was the first president of the people. And uh, um, I quickly found that that's 
while it's true that, as has been said again and again, that Adams was abrasive, often tactless, um, often very vain, um, stubborn, independent, uh, quick to anger, all the, that's all tr- quite true. But there was much, much more to him. He was also deeply uh, learned. He was affectionate. Mm-hmm. He was passionate. He was passionate about learning, about friends, about religion, about about a devotion to his duty, to his country. Uh, he was funny. He had a wonderful, wonderful sense of humor. Can you give an example of that that you came across that made you smile? Well, his account of, uh, of a, one of what they called the matrimonial um, stories that were told at weddings among the men, and he records one about the wife of a man named B. Bicknell, which uh, I could only read aloud, and we haven't time, but it's <laughs> it's hilarious. His account of trying to go to sleep with Ben Franklin yes, uh, in yes. the same bed one night. There's a great trivia question yeah. there. Uh, what two founding fathers ended up in the, at the same inn in the same yes. bed one night? And they are arguing over whether the window should be open or closed. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, and we only know about it because Adams wrote it down. Um, his um, and his And his wife... His, you really can't understand him without understanding her, and you can't understand her without understanding him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, the fact that any anybody any woman of of, with, of her quality, uh, that she was his wife, that she agreed to marry him, um, uh, that she was so devoted to him all of their life. You know, when she used to say, "When he's wounded, I bleed." Mm-hmm. Um, that. If we're known by the company we keep, he kept some superb company. He chose well. Yes, and yeah. that and that goes for his friends Jefferson, his friend, and and Rush, um, also. I don't think we can overestimate how important friendship was to Adams, mm. and the lengths to which he was willing to go to maintain friendship and to be loyal to his friends. That's an you interesting ask, point because several times reading the book. I felt like it was going to go a certain direction. It was certainly Adams here would cast that man yes, aside because of just doesn't. the vitriolic yeah. uh, way that they treated him. And but he, he wouldn't do that. And while he was quick to anger, he was also quick to forgive. And he, uh, the only one that I don't think he ever forgave, and under, understandably, was uh, Hamilton. Mm-hmm. But you asked about incidents or whatever mm-hmm. that would particularly delighted me. I think probably up at the head of the list, if not first, would be the fact that that when a a printer, a publisher in, uh, in Philadelphia who had been attacking Adams at every chance uh, when Adams was vice president. When that print shop caught on fire, Adams was right there in the middle of the night to help hand up buckets of water to Passing put the fire buckets out. of water to As vice enemy. president of the United States. Yeah. And then later when he's president and he's in the White House and the Treasury catches fire, he looks out the window and says, my goodness, the Treasury's on fire. He's out the door like a shot, again, joining the Bucket Brigade, President of the United States. You wouldn't see that happening today. No, but I also think it's a wonderful metaphor for him because that's what he's trying to do again and again, put out the fires of war, Hmm. put out the fires of of anger between friends. Uh, Now, often the the fires had been started by him, (laughs) you know, but there would come a point where he'd say, all right, you know, we've got to patch this up and put out the fire. Well, we are certainly not going to do justice to the entire life of John Adams here with the few minutes we have. And there's so many questions I do have for you, but let's talk about this relationship with Thomas Jefferson some more. We touched on it earlier. Well, Jefferson and Adams could not have been more uh, 
contrasting. Uh, wasn't just that one was tall and handsome and the other was short and stout. They came from two vastly different parts of the country, really two different worlds. Mm -hmm. The New England of John Adams' time and the Virginia planter's life of Jefferson's time were as different as night and day, different as France and Germany today, let's say. Adams was a freeholder, owned his own land, worked his own land, chopped his own firewood, pruned his own trees. He was still out there swinging a scythe, cutting his own hay when he was in his 80s. Uh, Jefferson, of course, lived by the labor of 200 slaves. It wasn't just that they worked his fields. They waited on him hand and foot his entire life. He never knew any other life. His first memory, Jefferson's first memory, was of being carried on a pillow by a slave. Mm -hmm. And in a way, that's, again, emblematic yes. of his whole life. He's mm -hmm. going to be carried by slaves. Mm -hmm. Adams, by contrast, is the only founding father who never owned a slave, Founding fathers north and south, because I'm including Franklin, I'm including John Hancock. And it wasn't say. just a pragmatic issue with him. And it was a matter of principle, yes. back to what you said at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, he, he sees that, uh, that this issue of slavery may lead to the, to the destruction of the country. He, he imagines armies marching in the sky. Another prophetic uh, vision almost. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. just, just incredible of, of uh, how history played itself out after Jefferson, Jefferson preached the, the, the philosophy that one ought to try and go through life with the least pain possible. So he was very non-confrontational. Adams said, you can't do that. Pain is part of life. You have to embrace pain. You have to expect it. And in fact, it, very often the things that are most worthy are, are going to come with a measure of pain. Uh, that, I suppose, is somewhat Puritan of mm him. -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and, and where, as you say, where Jefferson was, would withdraw from c conflict or confrontation, particularly personal confrontation on the floor of the House, uh, let's say. He wouldn't argue. Uh, he wouldn't argue. Adams was the first on his feet, and he couldn't understand somebody who wouldn't stand up for what he believed. But... All these striking differences aside, what they had in common was more important. Mm -hmm. Devotion to the country. Devotion to serving the country. Sacrificing their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor, if need be. Mm -hmm. Those weren't just, that mm -hmm. wasn't just uh, words. Yeah. Um, and that started in Philadelphia. That started in Philadelphia. Their love of books. Their belief in education. Uh, Adams said it shall be the duty of the government of Massachusetts to educate everybody because it's essential to have an educated population if you're going to maintain self-government. Jefferson said any nation that expects to be ignorant and free expects what never was and never can be. Hmm. Um, they're very alike in that. They... Um, they are fellow scholars. Yes. They are colleagues, yes. if you will. Very educated men. Very educated men, and 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 devoted. Each is devoted to his family. Each is devoted to his part of America, and um, and they were both um, long lived. Uh, mm -hmm. um, Adams lived good, uh, longer than Jefferson. There was eight years difference in mm -hmm. their age. Adams lived longer than any president in our history. They also suffered greatly. They suffered terrible losses of children, wives. Um, they knew, uh, they knew defeat. Uh, they knew um, uh, humiliation uh, in the press. And I think, by and large, they both 
genuinely loved the other. Each loved the other. We'll continue talking with David McCullough about John and Abigail Adams coming up on First Person. When I first heard the good news on the PPCC station, I tried praying to Jesus for the first time. Life is difficult, but Christ is helping me see things differently. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. You can sign up for a free online daily devotional from FEBC, telling more listener stories, while at the same time it encourages you from God's Word. Receive this online devotional without obligation when you visit firstpersoninterview.com. Now back to our interview with David McCullough, the author of many books, including a book on the life of John Adams. This uh, relationship between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson was a complex one. I don't think I understood really how complex until I read this book that you've so ably written. Both men found themselves in the service of their young country at war with uh, Britain. They found themselves in France along with Benjamin Franklin. Pick up the story there. Well, Adams had gone over to um, to uh, assist Franklin in his efforts to get more support from the French. He also went up to Holland or the Netherlands where on his own he succeeded against uh, tremendous odds in bringing the Dutch in as financial backers of the new of the revolution and then the new nation. Which was really critically important. Uh, critical. It's yeah. one of the most important uh, contributions of his entire career. Uh, sadly, uh, uh, shamefully forgot. Mm. Uh, it was as important as some of the battles of the revolution mm. were, were, were in, the, in the, mm. uh, establishing the outcome. And that's where you followed in his footsteps yes, to indeed. go to Amsterdam. And, to uh, and, he, and he nearly died in Amsterdam, uh, contracted a fever there. and. And uh, very nearly died. And separated was, from his wife. Separated from his wife, angry. and then nobody knew him, and people were shunning him, and uh, it was hard. It was an uphill struggle. But uh, after the war was over, uh, when uh, uh, Jefferson then came over to replace Franklin as the uh, minister to France, and uh, Adams became our ambassador to Great Britain. And it was during this period, and particularly in the period just before uh, Adams left Paris to go to London to to uh, be representatives at the court of St. James's, that the Adams and the Jeff Jeffersons saw each other all the time. Jefferson was there with his daughter. Adams had both his wife and his, uh, and his daughter, as well as his son, John Quincy. They were in and out of each other's houses all the time. Uh, Jefferson became, as they all later said, a kind of second father to John Quincy Adams. It was a very close friendship of the kind that often happens to Americans when they find themselves abroad mm -hmm. or living in a, in a foreign country. Very understandable. Uh, Jefferson far preferred Adams' company to the French that uh, he knew in mm -hmm. Paris. And when the Adams went to London, Jefferson came over and was with them uh, several months. And after being with them several months, came back to Paris, wrote a letter to Madison and said, if you knew this man, you'd love him. But when they came home to take part in the new administration for the new nation, the George Washington administration, Adams as the first vice president, Jefferson as the first secretary of state, they found themselves on the opposite sides of the rising two-party system. They became political rivals. Very bitter uh, battle. And they became political enemies, mm -hmm. um, which, was a, which was painful to both of them. And, of course, they ran against each other twice. Um, 
And the first time, Adams defeated Jefferson. The second time, Jefferson defeated Adams very narrowly. Uh, and, uh, and, um, and so when Adams was defeated and he goes home in humiliation, you know, he's been rejected by his country, and this man who used to be his friend, who's, who he later then finds out has betrayed him uh, yeah. by— And financed those who by betrayed him. By paying yes. a fellow to, to smear him in the papers. Huh. And, uh, uh, and to Jefferson's great credit— uh, to Adam's great credit, he forgives Jefferson that, but Abigail never really did. Mm. Um, Even her, though Abigail and Thomas Jefferson uh, corresponded. And had been very close friends and, and, and had a kind of, oh, a, a, a wonderful banter, lively back and forth thing about music and ideas and, mm. and buying uh, furniture and, and clothing and so forth. Uh, and and as Adam as Abigail says, there there will always be a corner of my heart that belongs to you. Yes. But she 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 said my respect for you yeah. is has gone. That's a very powerful wow. letter. I, oh, I remember yes. that very clearly. Yes. And and anyone who has felt betrayed by a friend will identify yes. with and her feelings she, here. And she's writing it to the president of the United States. Yes. He's in the White House then. Mm. You know, one of the illustrations of the enmity between the two of them is, I believe I have this correct, that when Adams was president and Jefferson was vice president, they went to, up to a year without speaking to each other? Oh, they didn't speak to each other for 11 years altogether. Oh, my goodness. No correspondence, no, no, no talk between them. Huh. But that changed. After, it did. At, after it did. both brought left office. Brought about, uh, uh, encouraged by the mutual, their mutual friend, Benjamin Rush, mm -hmm. Dr. Benjamin Rush of Philadelphia, and it's Adams who takes the first step. He writes a letter to Jefferson. And um, Jefferson responds immediately. He's just as eager to restore the friendship as, as Adams was. And they then commence a, a correspondence like none other. Uh, it's one of the great exchanges of letters in, the, in American history. It's one of the great exchanges of letters in the English language. How did you feel when you read that those letters back and forth? Oh, my goodness. You, you, you're... Humbled, you feel like a, you're about four feet tall or three feet tall. I mean, imagine two former presidents of the United States discussing in their correspondence the cor correct pronunciation of certain Greek phrases. Um, inconceivable. Uh, the range of their reading, the range of their uh, of their um, uh, knowledge, uh, and of course, again and again, they come back to the subject of the American Revolution. That was their great time. Mm -hmm. And about getting old, about death, about families. Mm -hmm. uh, They're two, two old pals. Let me ask this, though. What did Adams, I mean, Adams obviously knew about Jefferson and the, and the Sally Hemming relationship, the children that uh, Jefferson fathered, apparently by Sally Hemming. What did Adams think of all that? Well, the whole country knew. And, of course, uh, he could have gloated. You know, here's this man that did all these things to me behind my back. Um, now he's getting it, and too bad, you mm -hmm. know. He could have been bitter. He could have gloated. He could have... Could have used it. No, but he didn't. He it. didn't. He never said a thing. He's never said anything about it at all publicly, uh, nor did she. But privately, he wrote one letter to a friend in which he said, and again, I can't quote it exactly, but in essence, he said, and I think this is so wonderful, it's so right. He said, there, stories like this about slave masters and their slave women have always been told and always will be told because such a story 
is a metaphor for the infinitely larger sin of slavery itself. Wow. That, that says it. That's remarkable. Well, we are growing short on time. Uh, there was so much I, I would wanted to talk to you about. I, I wish we could have talked about his relationship to his children as a father. He was a wonderful father. He was a superb father. Uh, he, his children, some of them failed later in life. Yes. Uh, Charles Broke died his heart. of alcoholism yep. and broken man. Yep. Uh, his wife, Nabby, who was so, uh, so his, uh, dear. His daughter, Nabby. I'm sorry, his daughter, yep. Nabby, who was so dear to him and Abigail. Uh, passed away Had as a, a young hor- mother. Horrible death uh, from a mastectomy, mm. and one can hardly right. imagine what that must have been like. In the However, days his son John Quincy became president yes. of the United States. Yes. First time that had happened until recently. That's right, Father. And when they came to him to say uh, how how pleased they were, his friends and neighbors, and to congratulate him, they would invariably say, "Isn't it wonderful that he had the encouragement and the guidance of you as his father?" And Adams would always say, you must remember he had a mother, too. <laughs> yes. Matter of fact, I used that line myself earlier today. Yeah. It was so powerful. <laughs> um, in all the interviews that you've done uh, about this book, uh, and there have been a number of them, um, is there something that has been generally overlooked? Yes, exactly what you've been talking about. The, the role of, of his religious faith, the role of religion uh, in their lives, both private and public. You see, to me, the, the, the end of the book is in many ways the, truly the culmination because it's, it's the end of the book is about when he comes home after the presidency for 25 years, he never goes anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then you begin the inward journey. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, taking up the lines of St. Paul, I, will, I promise to rejoice evermore yes. if I can. I was so moved by it, that. And it's the if I can. Yeah. And truly at the end, he suffered everything. He suffered the loss of the people he loves most. He's lost his teeth. He's lost his health. And yet the love of life, the rejoicing of his heart over the miracle of life in the world is simply spectacular. And what he writes, where the, that paragraph that I use, I hope you remember where he talks about, he even finds a thrill in commas and yes. periods, yes. and it takes him in, and he says he wants to get down on his knees and thank God for this marvelous, this magnificent whole, I think he calls it. In the last page of your book, you say this, he had reduced uh, his motto, his fundamental creed, to a single sentence. He who loves the workman and his work and does what he can to preserve and improve it shall be accepted of him. Very powerful. Indeed. Very powerful. David McCullough, thank you so much. Mr. Shepard, I thank you very much. Now, we're, uh, we got just a few seconds left. Abigail preceded him in death. Yes, she died in 1818, uh, eight years before he did. He died in 1826. It must have been a terrible separation for him. Well, you know it was, but he told his son that we have been separated longer than I expect to be separated from her now. (laughs) Another indication of that faith. Yes. Yeah. I love reading biographies of great people, and the book John Adams by David McCullough is certainly one of my favorites. It was published back around 2001 when this interview was recorded, but it continues to hold great and timeless lessons for us today. My thanks to a very gracious man, David McCullough, for his time. Someday we'll have to share the interview regarding George Washington and McCullough's book, 1776. 
If you'd like to listen again or pass this program recommendation along to someone else, give them the website firstpersoninterview.com where they can listen or find our podcast on iTunes or almost any podcast app. And once again, thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for their support of First Person. Please support FEBC in the mission of taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again for First Person. First Person.